Hello everybody, Pastor Brian Wattenbarger, lead pastor of Body of Christ Church, and in today's podcast, we're going to talk about Lucifer, the devil. <laughs> you know, over history, the devil has gone from literally an angel to a cloven-hooved, double-curved horned, red-skinned, spike-tailed, pitchfork-wielding beast. And he's become known as the Lord of the Pit, Lord of, of Hell, or the ruler in Hell. Well, we need to dispel some of these myths because... Well, actually, we need to dispel all of these myths because the myths are what get in the way of the truth, and when they get in the way of the truth, whether you can see the connection or not, anything that diverts from the truth of Scripture serves to start to pull people away from the true gospel. And that is the devil's goal, is to drive us away from our relational relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I like to ask people what the first sin in the Bible was. And usually I get, well, it's when Eve uh, was tempted and ate the apple. First, it wasn't an apple. It was just fruit is all it says. Um, so the first sin in the Bible was Eve uh, taking a bite of that fruit um, or disobedience to God. But that's not exactly true because the enemy was already in the garden to tempt Eve in the first place. And so because the enemy was there, there had to be a sin that caused him to end up in the garden first. And we know this uh, enemy was in the garden in the form of the serpent when we read Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it nor touch it or you will die. Uh, in scripture it never mentions nor touch it except for her addition to that part of Scripture, and we know we're not supposed to add to Scripture. There's already a problem. Um, minor though it is for, for our purposes. The serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. So he, he gets her to tell what she knows. Then he starts twisting the truth and gets her to believe the lie. And here's how he does it. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. Now this is irony, because what got Lucifer thrown out in the first place was trying to become like God. And he plays on that will in fallible human nature. The idea that we can become like God. Now, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. All right. So he tricks her, he twists the truth, gets her to believe the lie, and... They eat, and of course they do die. Did you know that he is actually an angel? 
He was the top angel, to be truthful. In Ezekiel 28:14 through 16, it talks about him. It says, You were the anointed cherub who covers. Now, the cherub are the top angels. They're the, the more powerful angels. And he was the anointed cherub, which means he was the top angel or the top cherub. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness or iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. See, Lucifer was the top cherub and he was evidently musically inclined. Might have led the music worship up there. Who knows? He he had tabrets and symbols and things that it mentions. And it says, By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence. So he became so enamored with himself, with his own beauty, with his own ability, that he decided that he could become God. And so he was cast out for it. He displays himself as a being of light even though there is no light in him. For such men are false prophets, it says, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Everybody's ends are known by the deeds, by the fruit of their, of their efforts. And if you're not bearing fruit for the kingdom, God promises to prune it, to cut off those branches. Now, things to know about the devil or the enemy. Now, when we talk about the enemy, first, let's explain what we're talking about. The enemy, of course, is the person that is against us, Antichrist, so to speak. But it is not the Antichrist specifically. There are many enemies. You see, we read in Revelation that when Lucifer was cast out, he, he took a third of the angels with him. That's a lot of angels. Now, all of those people are running around here on, on the earth in the spiritual realm, of course, because this is where they were cast to. And they're here to accuse us. They're here to work against us. And we'll see that in addition to those fallen angels, there are also fallen spirits or the nephilim and we'll talk about that here in in just a few minutes when we talk about the the methods of the enemy but the things to know about the enemy is he's not omnipresent he can't be everywhere at once he's a creative being he's not omnipotent he can't do anything everything right he can't create he tries to hijack creation he doesn't create no omniscience he doesn't know everything but what we do know is because there are so many of them, they have infinite resources, right? Seemingly infinite resources. Now, like I said, they're creative beings, they're fallen angels, and many believe also spirits of the Nephilim. Now, the Nephilim were the offspring of angels copulating with human females back in the days of Noah, and that was the enemy's attempt to dilute the or water down the human genome, I, I believe. Uh, but in any case... Once they were wiped out in the deluge, they couldn't go to heaven. There's no means for, for, um, there's no means for for uh, resurrection for them. They aren't fully human. They aren't fully 
angels, so they have no place to go, so they just wander around as spirits. And these are what people believe become demons, or are, are what's referred to as demons that that uh, might possess a person. I, I, I'm telling you what people believe and, and what is possible. Personally, I believe that it is possible. I, I, of course, don't know. The scripture doesn't discuss specifically on that. But we do know that there are demons that do possess people. And angels can't possess people. So we have, we have that. The only option we have there is the spirits of the Nephilim because they had nowhere else to go. Now, in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, we read, when, we, when, when we're talking specifically to Lucifer, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who defeated the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be brought down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. So he can't be everywhere at once, but he does have a lot of resources. There is a spiritual war going on in the background. He and his part are on one side, and God and his or Jesus and his part are on the other side. Now, we know this happens because we read in Scripture that we're not fighting a war against principalities and nations. We're fighting a war against spirits. And these spirits back the principalities. They influence. They whisper in people's ears just like they whisper in ours. So they whisper in our leaders' ears and, and try to drive and control nations. And we see that chaos as we take away the protection of Scripture out of schools and out of the nation we see that chaos gradually taking hold. And pretty soon, what was once called evil becomes good, and what it was once called good becomes evil. Make no mistake, saints, being a Christian is going to be a tough uphill battle as we go forward, because we are fighting for the side of right, but the world is fallen. Now, what is the goal of the enemy? Nothing short of our destruction. He is not Lord of the pit. You know, we, we picture him with a pitchfork and, and being the leader of hell, but he's not the leader of hell. He's going to be a pit, prisoner in that pit, just as all the sinners who are not justified, sanctified, and glorified will be. When one is going down, one usually wants to take as many of the enemy with him as possible, and that is his, that is his goal. So let's look at the methods of the enemy that have per, kind of taken place since the beginning of time. Corruption of God's creation to try and hijack it. He tried to ascend and, and make himself the top and hijack God's creation because he can't create himself. He accuses man and points out our faults, making us believe we're not worthy of salvation. It's an attempt to drive us away from, from Christ and lower the numbers that are going to be saved. Dilute the human line to prevent the Messiah. That's when he uh, convinced the fallen angels to copulate with, with human females and, and create the Nephilim. Well, God wiped that out with flood and saved eight people. Then he tried to cut off Israel to prevent the Messiah. So, during the uh, sojourn into Egypt, trying to cause uh, Pharaoh to wipe out Israel, trying to cause all the enemies of Israel going forward to wipe out Israel um, during the captivities and things like that. We read about that in, in uh, the book of Esther and, and several other places. 
tries to cut off uh, the Davidic line to prevent the Messiah. You know, he, he convinces the kings, the, the Davidic kings, to turn away from God and, and go towards paganism and, and all of these things and to provoke God and try and get God to destroy the Davidic line. That didn't work. Then he tried to kill the Messiah, and he succeeded. He convinced everybody to kill the Messiah. But then again, the Messiah had already planned on being killed, and so nothing happened without Christ's control. Make no mistake of that. Christ set the terms. For instance, the Pharisees didn't want to kill him on a high day, but Christ caused that to happen by sending Judas out to betray him when he did. Then, after that, when Christ was resurrected, the enemy knew he'd lost. So then he, now he tries to drive as many of us from God and the Messiah as possible. If you don't believe he wins, his greatest, greatest achievement is when he can make a human being not believe in him. When he can make a human being not believe in God. When he can make a human being an atheist. Or when he can make a human being turn towards one of the other false religions that provokes God. He also will, at the same time, while doing that with as much of the population as he can, the people that are already in the church or already in the body, he tries to distort their beliefs. And he does this with great ability. I mean, we are ordaining uh, homosexual ministers. We have uh, taken things that were once a sin and decided to soft pedal them. Um, all these things are, are tools of the enemy to drive us away from Christ. One of the greatest tools of the enemy is convincing us that uh, once we've accepted Christ, we have our get-out-of-hell-free card and we don't have to do anything else. And Scripture tells us in multiple places by Christ himself that that is nothing further from the truth. If you don't believe, then the enemy wins. The enemy will try to water down the word and get us to, to buy it. The idea that there's more than one way to heaven. The idea that there's more than one way to God. All this new age emerging church stuff that is pulling people away from the true gospel. When the scripture says anything other, any other gospel is a lie. While we're on the subject of talking about the enemy, some people have questions about what I mentioned earlier, like possession. Look, if you're in Christ, you can't be possessed. I firmly believe that. Why? Because Scripture says in 1 John 4, 4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Is a, When you have the Holy Spirit or God literally indwelling in you, do you think an enemy can send a, 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 a demon in to kick the Spirit out, to kick God out of you? If God has you, God has you. Nobody can kick him out. So take some comfort in that. Well, I hope this dispels a lot of the uh, misunderstandings and, and disbelief around the enemy. It's important to understand your enemy in order to be able to conquer him. And if we want to be secure in our salvation, we have to know all the truth about the enemy and what God says about the enemy and how God enables us to beat the enemy because he is giving us the tools to conquer the enemy. You just have to listen. You just have to believe. And you just have to follow Christ's commandments. All right. Well, that's it for now.
I hope you enjoyed this and we'll see you on the next one.